Hey everyone, Neil here. Welcome back to this week's episode of What's Next. Uh, before we get started, I want to give a quick shout out to Gabby, who actually helped us put this interview together um, with our guest Wyatt. Uh, she reached out in a one-off and recommended Wyatt, and we got in touch, and um, you know, it was, it was a, a definite hit. Um, so I want to thank her so much for helping us out here. And you know, with that being said, uh, we really want to ask you know, you guys, if you, you got a story you tell, you want to tell, or somebody that you know you think would be good on here. You know, we're asking that you reach out, whether it's on our social media or you go to wnpod.com slash contact, uh, submit a form there. Uh, you know, the next couple interviews we have lined up are direct results of, you know, people reaching out to us and, and getting in touch. So it's not all people we know. Um, we're, we're open to interviewing anyone um, that's got a good story to tell. Uh, so more on this week's episode. So you've got Kevin, Ant, and I. Uh, we're interviewing Wyatt Melzer, former lacrosse player at University of Virginia um, and current director of Harlem Lacrosse, uh, which brings the game of lacrosse to the inner city youth, um, giving them really a tool uh, to get out of their current conditions. Uh, he'll get more into that. I, I can't do him justice by talking about it now. Um, and then he's also co-founding a company called M2, uh, a Lexington-based consulting company that's actually helping to give voice and educate uh, the millennial generation, working with politicians um, and other high-profile clients. So a cool venture he's starting there with his girlfriend. Uh, so more on Wyatt. Uh, like I said, UVA lacrosse star, um, you know, he's our first national champion, uh, which is really cool. So we pick his brain on that. Uh, he talks everything from growing up in Florida, not typically a lacrosse hotbed, uh, but working on the game. He was late to the game. Uh, so really having to pitch himself, you know, University of Virginia was a goal for him. Um, and so he really made a point to sell himself, produce videos uh, and get it on, on the tape and buy, you know, some twist of fate he actually got in. Um, he, he talks more about that. Uh, so he'll, you know, we'll pick his brain on being a national championship, what it's like to play for a coach like Dom Starja, uh, who over at University of Virginia, he's coached for over 23 years. He's the NCAA's all-time winningest coach, uh, absolute living legend. And what he'll do is he'll give us his three biggest lessons from Coach Starja. Uh, so we're really lucky to get that piece there. Uh, some more lessons in this one. I think you guys are really going to like it. It's, it's probably our longest one, so strap in. Um, and we really pre appreciate why joining us. He actually, uh, for the call, he hopped out. You know, he's at a, at a house, hopped out, got in a car, and, and spoke to us while he was in the car. So, um, you know, really appreciate that one. So, thank you guys. Uh, enjoy this one, and um, let's get into this week's episode of What's Next. All right, uh, everyone, welcome. We've got episode five here on What's Next. Um, Neil here with me. We've got Ant and Kevin. Uh, our guest today is Wyatt Melzer uh, from UVA Lacrosse. Um, Wyatt, thanks for coming, man. Dude, thank you guys for having me. It's uh, amazing to connect the dots and, and get this started. So it's uh, it's awesome to be a part of it. Yeah, you are. Um, we were just talking. I think you're the first person that's been on since we launched because we recorded a couple interviews first, get that catalog going. Um, so you're yep. the first true example of this network we're trying to build working uh, <laughs> yep. and very fortunate to have you. Well, no pressure, so I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. um, why don't you just give uh, give the listeners a sense of kind of your story, um, you know, talk through it. We'll let you take the floor, um, and then we've yep. got some questions, and we'll, we'll get into it, right? Cool. So, um, yeah, I guess it starts born and raised in, in South Florida, um, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, which uh, is a great place to grow up, so I spent a lot of time on the beach and uh, in, enjoyed life down there, and um, actually – didn't tell you guys, but it's a kind of the backbone of a lot of the story. I was a, a child model uh, growing <laughs> up, which was uh, a very interesting experience. But I did that Plot for like eight, 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 yeah. eight years. 
So I've got two brothers. I'm in the middle. And uh, my mom got my brothers and I into child modeling somehow when we were younger <laughs> and uh, took over our lives for like eight years and traveled the world and did all these crazy modeling shoots and um, ended up saving a lot of money through that. And it's kind of been my backbone over the last couple of years because I've been chasing jobs that haven't paid well but have been really important experiences and I've been able to take out money through my modeling job to help pay the bills in New York City. So everyone to get to where they need to get somehow makes it work and I just happen to have had this crazy pile of money from my modeling days. So that's a shout out to all the crazy modeling times that I had with my mom and my that's brother. Great. So but it was my it's been my secret weapon all these years because I had this stockpile of money to help kind of live in New York, which is unlivable <laughs> when you're paying <laughs> $2,000 a month. So grew up modeling, which is crazy. And then my life kind of shifted when I found out about lacrosse. And in Florida, no one knows, no one knew what lacrosse was. I mean, this is a huge baseball, a huge football, a huge soccer in South Florida. I grew up playing those sports. And a mom had mentioned to my mom at my brother's high school football game saying, hey, you should try out this sport called lacrosse. And I was sitting with my mom. And I'm like, what the hell? What is she talking about? And she goes, it, it combines all these other sports, your baseball, it combines football, it combines basketball into one sport. You should check it out. And I was entering ninth grade hearing about lacrosse for the first time in Florida and went out that next week and saw this practice of a group of guys that were playing lacrosse. And kind of right then and there is kind of my sob story, but fell in love with lacrosse in the game. There's these kids running around with sticks and flying bouncy balls and hitting each other and scoring. You're kind of fell in love with it right away. And uh, that kind of shifted my passion and my pursuits in life. And so I started playing lacrosse in ninth grade and high school into college was a blur. I mean, I went from picking up lacrosse stick in ninth grade to getting really good really quickly, spending a lot of time on it and then transferring high schools because in Florida, no one was playing lacrosse except one school, one prep school in Boca Raton, Florida called St. Andrews had top level lacrosse. And so I ended up transferring high schools Went to a boarding. It was a boarding school, so it was like an hour and a half away from my house. So I ended up living there. So it was a total life shift from living at home, playing sports, to lacrosse taking over my life. But single-handedly, the best decision I ever made because lacrosse, going to St. Andrews and going to Virginia, kind of put me on this whole, you know, journey that I'm on now, which is exciting. So I went there, and before I knew it, sent out 300 highlight tapes to every Division One, Two, II, and Three school in the country, just being like hey, here's a kid from Florida, I'm trying, give me a chance. And that was the year that the University of Virginia was in one seed in, the, in going into the NCAA tournament. They got upset, biggest upset like in playoff history in lacrosse. And the coaches had a lot more time on their hands to start recruiting. And I sent them a highlight tape. Long story short, I was on the bottom of the highlight tape. And uh, they found me and said they never heard of anyone playing lacrosse in Florida. And uh, but they were interested in hearing more and seeing me and play. And before I knew it, I started playing in ninth grade. And then two years later, was committed to University of Virginia, which just came off the national championship in Florida. And everyone's looking around, like, "What the hell just happened to this kid? How this happened?" And before I knew it, I was at Virginia. I was a two-time All-American in high school, and that, which is cool. And then the first Under Armour All-American from Florida to play lacrosse in this big Under Armour Classic thing. So like, just so over my head with lacrosse so quickly that by the time I got to Virginia, you know, from three straight final fours to a national championship to my best friend being the tour and award winner, which means he's the, you know, the, the best lacrosse player in the country to, you know, graduating 
was just amazing. But through that, there are some ups and downs experiences of, you know, there's a George Shugley and Yardley loves incident where George killed Yardley and George was on my team. And then Will Barrow was a senior captain. He committed suicide when I was a freshman and the Bratton brothers who are great, you know, great players, but not great teammates. They were kicked off the team. So kind of my first lows and highs of my life were experienced at the highest level of competition. And if you, as you guys know, once you get there, it's kind of like, everything's high pressure and to have some highs and lows really kind of evolved from there. But after Virginia, I was kind of like my story kind of evolved where I'm like, you know, I didn't want to take a traditional path. I was at home in Florida. My dad was like, you guys got, you've got two months to enjoy, but also figure out a job. And all I can remember is just being like, I want to do something that is going to make a difference. And it sounds kind of cheesy, but it's plain and simple that I was like, I'm not going to just settle for a desk job. I'm not going to settle for something that, um, isn't going to really make a difference. I just wasn't ready there mentally just to be like, I'm going to go sit at a desk for the rest of my life. Like that just didn't make sense to me at the time. And I stumbled upon, um, through the Virginia lacrosse alumni network, which is this amazing opportunity alumni platform. I sent out my resume and was like, Hey, I'm interested in doing something a little bit different. I knew I love lacrosse. I love coaching. I love giving back, but I never knew it evolved into what became Harlem lacrosse, which is, um, at the time was this guy was forming it into a nonprofit organization. And we simply bring lacrosse to the worst inner city schools in Harlem at the time. And we use lacrosse as an opportunity platform for inner city kids. So we say, instead of dropping out, instead of doing drugs, instead of joining a gang, join our lacrosse team. And the opportunity platform that it provides kids is, is life changing. What I was talking to you guys about is just, it changes the kid, but it changes the family. It changes the school. It changes the community. It changes the city. And it's a, an amazing platform. So I, I joined Harlem Lacrosse, moved up to New York City. I mean, I it, I had never I'd been to New York once before, lived on a couch for six months out of a bag, and was up in Harlem teaching lacrosse to middle school kids. And my mom was calling me like, "What have you done? And where are you right now? What are you doing?" But <laughs> right away, I was, you can still come home. <laughs> I, I, now my mom you can is still like, have you come back home, here, Wyatt. I know she was pulling all the stops to try to get me back, but I'm like, I, I knew, I knew there's something special I was a part of. And, um, I ran that Harlem lacrosse program, which we can dive into two more years. It was the the most amazing experience in my entire life. And I think, um, is a key to the failing education system with Anthony, with Anthony and I have talked about before. And, um, after that I had an itch for corporate America. Um, you know, everyone has a selfish side and I wanted to see if I can make some money. And so I, joined uh, CBRE, which is the largest commercial real estate company, and went to their like highest pressure brokerage floor right in Midtown, New York City, and didn't know anything about brokerage and was there, showed up day one, and uh, busted my butt for two years. But early on, I knew it wasn't what I wanted to do forever, but I knew it was a great experience, and I was going to build great networks and really push myself. And I think life is one big sale, and you're always selling something, whether it's yourself or your product or your business. And so it was a great sales experience, but right away I knew it was something I wasn't going to pursue. And I, my, my niche and my passion became education. It became inner cities. It became giving back to communities. It became helping just more inner city kids, give, give them more opportunities to achieve the American dream. And I saw that live in Harlem, and I just had a tough time connecting the dots in corporate America, being like, this is something I can do the rest of my life because I just knew how many kids needed more help. And that was always in the back of my mind. And so started doing some crazy networking and just meeting people and experiencing things and stumbled upon a guy who was a real estate guy in New York city, Paul Massey, who 
decided he was going to run for New York City mayor, um, which was an amazing experience. His big focus was public schools. And so I became his education and millennial, quote-unquote, advisor uh, on his campaign, which was the best experience of my life. Uh, I met my current girlfriend on that that um, that campaign, which was, uh, you know, uh, obviously a plus to get out of it. <laughs> and then Jane, my girlfriend, and I have come up with an idea. You know, we are, you know, concerned about what's going on in the country politically. And we think our generation has so much potential with the technology and our holistic approach towards life to really make an impact. But we feel like there's just a disconnect between our generation and a lot of officials and a lot of CEOs and a lot of corporations. And so we started a company called M2, which is a millennial millennial opportunity platform. So we're helping millennials um, start their dreams and pursue their passions and pursue their what they want to do to make the world a better place. And so we moved to Lexington, Kentucky, where she's from two months ago. And that brings me here talking to you guys about how to help people, athletes get the next step. And so I feel like I've been all over the place the last couple of years, but I thought it all through and my experiences have all kind of combined into this one crazy world where we're trying to, Jay and I are really trying to make a difference to fix our country and use our generation as that next wave of difference makers throughout our country. So that is my 30 second spiel in a 10 minute conversation. With I, love I love it though. Um, That's a pretty, pretty wild uh, ride. Why it seems like uh, you've got your, your hand in a lot of things, like a like a quick smorgasbord of uh, of tastes of careers and whatnot. Um, can you just take us back to being at University of Virginia? What what were you studying there? Was it related to anything you're doing now, or you know, were you kind of didn't know what you wanted to do? Just kind of take us back to those days. Yeah, I mean, I was a history major, and just because I was taking so many history classes at government. I realized I could have been a government minor as well. So my major was history. My minor was government. But I had no idea. I mean, I still have no idea what I really want to do. I'm trying to figure that out every day. But, you know, it was um, – I just knew Virginia was an amazing school. And the first lacrosse I ever watched on television was when they won the championship in 2006. And I fell in love with Virginia right then and there. I was like, that was my dream school. So the fact that I got there and was playing there and going there, like I said, it all happened so fast. But – for me, it was about being a part of the team and being a part of the experience of Virginia. And I've always felt like I've known to give everything your best effort and to really kind of think about who I am and not worry about what everyone else was doing and that my path was going to lead to something where I wanted to be doing with myself. And so I never really thought too much, really, my four years, even to till graduation, all my friends started becoming so stressed about finding jobs and, you know, traveling and doing these interviews and we're playing during the season. You're just like, I just told myself, I was like, I'm going to graduate, I'm going to enjoy this ride, and then I'm going to get home, and I'm going to take a deep breath, relax, and then I'm going to figure out what to do with my life after that. And so I think just knowing, like, enjoying the moment, enjoying that I am playing lacrosse at the University of Virginia, just going to one of the best academic schools in the country, I was like, right now, this is what I want to focus on and what I want to give it my all. And then once I graduate, I'm going to reset and focus mm -hmm. on the next chapter of my life and focus on all right, where do I really want to go with my career? So to answer your question, it was history and government, which I love. And I love history. Um, I think it's important to know what's happened in our country and around the world. I'm a big um, reading a book on every president of the, of the United States right now, which is, is good history to know. Um, but it's kind of just worked itself out when you focus on one task at a time. 
why mm-hmm. um I mean to have that perspective though in college is pretty uncommon, right? I mean I think I don't know, I can probably speak for most where you'll you spend a lot of your college years looking around, what are they doing? Oh, that seems like an interesting major, they're doing well in it. Um, you don't really have those blinders on, and I still think even after college, you don't have those blinders on. I mean, what what can you attribute that to? Is it you were kind of that underdog? You were late to lacrosse. You're the guy from Florida. You're kind of doing your own thing. You're not necessarily from the hotbed. Like, where yeah. can you attribute that to anything? Maybe it's the modeling years. Maybe you put yourself out yeah. there when you were younger. But um, you yeah, know, can you attribute that to I think it's. Uh, I thought about it a lot too because I think, I mean. Listen, you guys are the first platform for I could say a lot of stuff, so some of it might be cheesy. But, like, for me, everything I've done over the last couple of years, and you mentioned, like, I've been jumping around, like, everything I, I went from, like, the extreme to the extreme. It was, like, the top lacrosse program in the, you know, one of the top lacrosse programs in the country. I was in over my head, and I showed up, and I made it work. And then I went to Harlem, which is one of the worst areas in the country, and had never been to Harlem, and had never been a middle school teacher, and I never taught lacrosse to middle school kids, and then did that, and then went to CBRE, which is the best commercial real estate company company in the world. Never had done brokerage, and was in over my head, but made it work. And then somehow managed to go to a guy who was running for mayor to be on his political campaign. Never done anything in politics, so like that. I think just the focus where you're like, I want to push my boundaries, and I want to challenge myself, had always been my thought process, and like cheesy enough but like a lot of people when they're younger are like I want to be a police officer I want to be a lawyer like I always I remember googling when I was younger like how to change the world and I remember like that being my mindset growing up and I'm like I'm not going to change the world like sitting at a desk and that's been my process over the last couple of years is like no one changes the world sitting behind a desk at least in my opinion so I'm like I got to do something different I need to figure it out and I knew that like my own journey was going to be the only way to figure that out. And there was a lot of people along the way that helped me get there. But I think the modeling thing definitely played and transferring to go to high school was kind of like, that was my decision. My parents didn't want me to go because I was leaving the house and my older brother just on the air force. He was leaving. So like, I was like, no, this is, I kind of just followed my gut. I think is, is my final point. You know, it's like all these crazy jobs I've had over the last couple of years, like, even my dad's like, I don't know what the hell you're doing anymore. Like, <laughs> all these different jobs. Like you, you can't, my dad's was like, just settle in corporate America and make money and do your 501 to, and get your pension, all this stuff. And I'm just like, no, I was like, I got to follow my gut. And it's for me in my little world, it's worked itself out so far now to get there. So it's kind of been something that's stayed with me over the last couple of years mm-hmm. for sure. It's good. You've kind so, of had that stress <laughs> test early on to follow your gut where I think a lot of us, you stay so much on that straight and narrow and now it's after school and maybe now your gut is pounding, but you've never tried any of those stress tests. You've never tried to branch out or try something else. Yeah. And that's what it feels like a lot of my friends have been in corporate America and I don't want, I love corporate America. I did a great two years there. So I want to sound too anti corporate America, but I think you got to find somewhere in the middle. But a lot of my friends now, I'm, you know, I'm 27 and my friends have been in the same corporate jobs for the last four or five, six years. And they're like, do I go to grad school? Do I stay here? Do I, go find another job dude you know it's like they're in life limbo where me right now i'm like i know exactly what i want to do because i've been tested and because i push myself and i've always achieved like for me it was like virginia or nothing or it was like cbre or nothing or you know so it's kind of like and that's mentality that athletes have and that's why i think it's unique and that's why i think what you guys are doing is great because like athletes are great at pushing the boundaries and are pushing themselves and being a part of something that's bigger than themselves and to have that mentality is really helpful. Now your guy's job and hopefully my job is to help people kind of 
get through the weeds and be like, all right, exactly. How do I use this student athlete mindset and work ethic to push myself into the world that I want to be involved in? Mm -hmm. Why it was, go ahead, Kev, you want to go? Oh, sorry. No, so we were talking, you talk about bringing it back to being a student athlete. And we were talking before you came on, Wyatt, that it's not every day we get to talk to a national champion. Mm-hmm. And so we got to take advantage of it of the yeah, yeah. here. So take us through just the whole experience, you know, going to the national championship, being on that team, playing for, you know, your well-renowned coach. Um, yeah. Just take us through that experience just as an athlete for everyone listening. Yeah. So I think, you know, it's, it was, I think you can say try a million philosophical things. You're just like, it was the most amazing experience ever, you know? And I think when I think about it now, it, what winning a national championship does is, is it validates all the work that you've put into it. And I think that's what athletes, and that's what anyone wants in life, is to feel like the work they put into it is validated, you know, by something. And to get to the highest level and win a national championship means that all those sprints, all that time in the gym, all that extra studying, all that extra shooting and running and lifting, like, it all paid off. And for so many people, unfortunately, it doesn't. And a lot of people need validation in their life, and I think winning a championship kind of years later now is validation towards everything. And then also, I think playing sports in general is a door opener, and it's a great networking tool, and people want to associate themselves with winners. And I think putting national champion on my resume, like, it helps. You know, it's the honest truth. Like, saying you played lacrosse in Virginia and you won a national championship helps. And so I think years later, the validation and the door opening skills it has has been probably the best aspects for me but like I told you guys like I was in over my head from the start I mean I I, my freshman year I sat the bench and then sophomore junior and senior year I played in every game I was never you know the the guy all my buddies from all the hotbeds were but I contributed and so I felt like I was on the field when the clock ticked zero and it was like an hour and a half of just like an out-of-body experience I mean we had a crazy year that year I mean we'd be a loss four out of our five top players we had lost three straight games in a row which for a virginia lacrosse or a top program in the country like kind of was unheard of you know a couple of our players suspended um you know the year before the george and you know your hardly thing happened which shook up our team we barely even had we almost had to forfeit our team the year before you know so it was kind of just like our teams were so much also more talented i think our fresh my freshman and sophomore year I remember losing sophomore year to all teams considered Duke in the Final Four, which was tough. Our big rival, well, not even a rival, they crushed us every time we played them. But uh, <laughs> but then our junior year, we just became a much better team. And I think that was what was such an amazing thing to be a part of because you guys know there's nothing better than being a part of a team. And I think to have the validation of winning at the highest level made it all just a surreal experience to go from playing in ninth grade in Florida, not knowing anything, to a couple years later, a champion was kind of like, how did this happen to me? And you guys had a close call, like your, your first round, right? I mean, you, so before you come in, you lose in the first round and then you're, you're in it now. And it was Bucknell, right? Wasn't it a fairly close game? I mean, you guys were probably. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, um, we had just like, literally we were going up and down the whole year, up and down and good games, bad games. And then we suspended the two players on the team, Ramel and Chamel, who are unbelievable lacrosse players, but, had some stuff behind the scenes they couldn't stay focused on. And so the co- our coach, Dom Sarja, had to let them go. And he's the guy that, 
you know, hates giving up on people and, and hates having kids off the team. He's just a sucker for giving people opportunity. And so that was really tough on him. And so, but as soon as they were gone and we were kind of like, all right, this is our team because they had been off and on the team and playing one game and then spend the next game. We were like, all right, this is who we have. Let's make this work. And it was kind of just like a fresh breath of air and we were able to get kind of moving in the right direction. And so Bucknell, we were down by three goals with like three minutes left and one in overtime. And then after that game, it was just like go time. I mean, we beat uh, we beat the next round. We beat Cornell. We beat them like by like eight goals or something. And they were ranked ahead of us. And then got to Denver in the final four and beat Denver by like I don't know eight goals again or something like that. And, and the Maryland game was an intense game. We beat them by two. But it was just like we felt like once those guys were gone and we could focus on ourselves finally instead of all the other crap going on behind the scenes, like we were a good team and we came together and just made it happen. It was just kind of a, a very surreal kind of like therapeutic situation where like everything started working. You're like, Oh, this is what a team's supposed to be like. I mean, there, there are some low key moments of, uh, of my career that I feel like are out of body experiences. So I can't imagine, you know, what you guys were going through on that field after, yeah. after winning. That's, that's really cool to, uh, to hear your perspective on that. Um, we were doing a little bit of research before before we called called you up for this interview, and it uh, it's kind of ironic in a way that one of the matchups in that championship year was held at the University of Denver, and it seems like mm-hmm. that was the the first game um, of lacrosse that was played west of the Mississippi. So yeah. th- thinking about that, and then uh, your career bringing your professional career, um, bringing lacrosse to communities that have never been exposed to lacrosse before. It's almost like yeah. there's, a, there's a weird irony in, in that kind of uh, coincidence. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm a sucker for hot, for non-hotbeds, obviously being from Florida, like the underdog. And, you know, I was on the first inaugural Team Florida, and we showed up to all these tournaments up in Baltimore, and everyone's like, there's lacrosse in Florida? And we were like, everyone was a good athlete. We were just... 10 years behind picking up a lacrosse stick. And so I think lacrosse in general is an amazing sport. I think, and honestly, I think as football kind of is figuring out what they're doing right now with all these concussion issues and safety protocol, I think basketball with the league, I think lacrosse is just has so much potential throughout the country to really be the next big sport. And I think um, as soon as colleges can pick up and, and figure out, you know, how to get these division one teams, I think, it's endless uh, opportunities for the game of lacrosse, which is really exciting. I mean, I'm in little Lexington, Kentucky, and it's exploding there. But I think for me, for Harlem lacrosse, I always thought, you know, Anthony, we talked about this. My most, the most amazing experiences I had at Harlem lacrosse were, were not when, so we would go out, we'd take our kids and we would take them out to play in Connecticut and New Jersey and Westchester and all these really nice high end, you know, beautiful towns that are, um, you know, very wealthy towns and my kids are living in the projects and they're coming, you know, mismatched gear and we're showing up on a bus that's barely working and playing well against these kids. I mean, the parents would always come up to me and I think it's interesting to see what some parents look at me saying, you're doing an amazing job and we're so proud and this is such a cool experience. And then, you know, um, some other parents looking at me and my kids as, um, rivals in competition towards their kids and i think lacrosse has been such a dominated dominated sport by the suburbs uh throughout the northeast that when you give a lacrosse stick to an inner city kid and normally those kids are 
black young males uh, that are running around and really great athletes. I think it's been, it was interesting to see that dynamic play where one, people think it's an amazing thing you're doing, but two, they're like, you guys, you're giving sticks to kids that are great athletes that are going to start picking up the game of lacrosse and being the next wave of college athletes. And so I think to be a part of that, not real non-hotbed, which is like a little different than Florida, which was Harlem, you know, it was like very eye-opening to see um, lacrosse being opened up to a whole other world, which is anyone outside of these suburbs for the most part in the Northeast. And now that's growing throughout the country. And I think you're going to see a real big shift. And we already have kids from our program that are playing at top boarding schools and top colleges. And it's interesting seeing an inner city kid play, that's cool. you know, at a top college, but I think they'll continue to grow and the game will even itself out. So it's a very interesting time for lacrosse. Yeah, definitely. It seems like, I mean, it seems like anywhere you go, there's going to be some resistance to change and newness and, uh, you know, shaking up the, the rich suburban sport that most people know lacrosse as. Can you talk a little bit about you maybe going into some of the schools you went into or the communities you went into and uh, were you met with any resistance? I mean, historically, we know whether it be white politicians or figureheads going into communities of color and thinking that, you know, they know how to transform this school or this community. Were you met um, with open arms or with resistance by the schools or by families? Just tell, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean we could probably have a whole podcast just in my first year and trying to figure out what I was doing. But I think for me, it was like early on, I just realized that I never thought it was fair that I was born into a a positive environment. And so many kids are born into a family environment. And I think that's something that we had talked about. It's just, that's probably one of the big issues that's going on in our country right now is there's just too many kids born in failing environments. And I think, for me, that was something I picked up right away, and I was committed to making a difference and committed to helping these kids. But, I mean, I walked in the first day, and the principal didn't know what lacrosse was. I mean, right. the kids, kids didn't know what lacrosse was, and certainly the teachers didn't. And this was a failing public school in Harlem. This is one that was on a two-year watch. So if two years their grade doesn't go up, they're closed down. And it was also a public school that was sharing two floors with a charter school. And so charter schools are eating, you know, eating uh, public schools alive. Some, some for the better, some for the worse. I think your argument's got to be in the middle there, but so it was a really challenging environment. And I was a white male from Florida that went to the, you know, university of Virginia and showed up in khakis and a button down with a pile of lacrosse sticks saying, I want to teach these kids lacrosse. And there wasn't a lot of people opening the doors saying, yes, saying this is a good idea. And I don't know how I got through the first year. I think the first year was the hardest year of my entire life. I mean, you're convincing family, friends, and students to take a chance on this unique program that can't, you know, it's going to change their life. It's just trying to get that message across to the kids and show them. But I'll give you the quick story that kind of sums it up. So the first, th- the third week I was there, I wanted to do a parent conference with all the kids on the team. At that point, I convinced because I, we gave the kids gear. Everyone got a free pile of gear. Um, so that's how I got all the kids on the team. I was like, oh, if you play, you get a shiny pile of sticks and gear. And the kids didn't know what it was. They just thought it looked cool. And these are kids that have come from literally nothing, you know. And so when you tell them you're going to give them something, they're excited. So I had like 43 kids on the team at that point. I was like, of course, you got to do a parent conference. I got to get the parents there. I got to meet them. They got to sign their forms. I'll call them. And then I'll just send a letter home. I'll should be good because that's 
probably in the world we come from that usually that works to get parents to events. And so I had a reality check coming to me because I invited the principal and the assistant principal and the head of the program being like, we'd love for you guys to come to this parent teacher conference and meet everyone. So I sh- seven o'clock rolls around, no one there. Seven fifteen rolls around. The meeting was supposed to be from seven to seven thirty. I had one parent come to the parent teacher conference, and I look around and I was like, "This is this is a different ball game." You know, I'm not going to just win these people over by a smile and by just introducing some crazy sport to them. And so, it was every day a grind. I mean, I woke up every day being like, I would pick out one kid and be like, "Today's worth it for that kid," because going through a day-to-day in Harlem in a failing public school with fights and kids showing up and kids missing and finding out a kid was in jail or a kid was doing drugs or, you know, a kid went missing. I mean, every day it was a new challenge. And so the best part is six months later, we were taking the kids to the University of Virginia for their first college trip. And I told the kids, I looked at them and I said, at that point I had like 35 kids, a couple I dropped off. I said, you guys aren't coming on this trip unless – your parents show up to this parent-teacher conference. And the kids knew right away that it was no joke because at that point I instilled a sense of commitment and responsibility and accountability and presence and, you know, all the things, all these qualities that these kids unfortunately didn't have at an early age now because of the program they've learned. And so they went home and told their parents. And I still thought I'd get a couple parents that would show up, but I wasn't fully sure. The night I came and the meeting happened, I had – 33 out of the 35 parents show up there. And it wasn't because they wanted to be there. It was because they knew how much this lacrosse program meant to their kids. And just that what I was doing was positively impacting their kid's life, which meant it was positively impacting their family's life. And so finally, answer your question, just got, it, it's a process. And it was a trust, most importantly, issue that like what I was doing was going to positively help these kids and make a difference in their life. And as soon as the parents realized that, they made, they invested themselves in it. And I had parents come up to me. I was like, oh, thanks so much for coming. They're like, if my son told me one more time to come to this damn meeting, I was going to tell him he's never playing lacrosse ever again. So it was like, <laughs> came to that point. But it was a long process. And there was you know a couple trying times along the way. The first year, I was mugged in Harlem, which was very interesting. Had a couple racial slurs thrown my way, which was very interesting. Had a couple weird looks. But by the end of it, when we would go out to play our games and have our lacrosse gear, everyone would get on the corner and start cheering our team on. I mean, from the convenience store guy to the grocery store lady to the lady in Dunkin' Donuts to the guy in the corner selling newspapers, they knew we were the truth. It was the name of our school. They knew that the truth was going to play lacrosse, and everyone started clapping and waving and giving everyone high fives. And so you started seeing that it was like an actual cultural shift, not just like a shift of the kid. It was a shift of the whole community seeing that these kids who normally were part of nothing that were getting in trouble after school were now part of something making a difference. And so uh, pretty profound stuff, I think, at least in my world. Yeah, I mean, you're, pre- you're preaching kind of like total buy-in from you know the, the kids you're coaching, their family, but it's also like you had to buy in as well. It wasn't just coaching. You weren't just in a couple hours and leaving, teaching them the game. I mean, from the videos we saw and the conversations we had, I mean, you're in the classrooms, right? Like you had a 360-degree yeah. view of – you know, these guys were your students, like it's true education, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, we said lacrosse, I mean, I could talk to you about Harlem lacrosse and not say one thing about lacrosse the entire time. I mean, I always told my kids, I didn't care if we won by 20 or lost by 20. I cared if the kids looked someone in the eye, shook their hand and said, good game. And I think those are the qualities that, that 
that make a difference. I think I was always preparing the kids for life after lacrosse and for being a part, being a positive addition to society because these kids in these inner cities, the statistics show that if you're born in an inner city without a father, without this, without that, like your probability of succeeding is just so small that the percentage of you making out of there is just, it's so small, the potential of you making it. It's just, it just ate at my heart every day because I'm like, here I am born in a great environment and life's been great. And then this poor kid who has so much opportunity, so much potential, was just born into a failing environment. There's nothing wrong. And so that buy-in had to be, ha- it had to happen. And it came, started for me. I was there six, seven days a week. And that's the difference is these program directors aren't like, Hey, I'll see you guys two hours after a week, uh, two hours a day on Tuesday, Thursday. And then once on Saturday, it was like, no, I was there seven. I'll see you at seven a.m. You're at school on time. You're in your uniform. You're shaking my hand. You show me your homework. You're checking in with me. I'm seeing that you're going to your classes. I'm seeing that you're doing your homework. I'm sitting down with your teachers, sitting down with your principals. It wasn't like you show up every once in a while and you go. It's like no, we're holding you accountable for the little things in life because that's how you're going to make a difference and turn these kids into this positive addition. So you literally from day one, you're not building with cross players. You're building, you're building people that are, have just been missing out on crucial aspects of life, like responsibility and showing up to things on time and during, turning their homework in and saying yes and no and saying please and thank you. Like little qualities like that, that we teach the kids and the hook is just a cross. I mean, the, the hook could be a baseball, the hook could be a flute, the hook could be painting, but it's something that lacrosse work because it's unique and it's a different sport and it connects to the boarding schools and it connects to colleges very well. And so that's why it's been a great process, but teaching these kids the day to day, how to be positive additions to society is kind of what we're trying to do with Harlem. So as you, as you embrace your role as not only a teacher, but also as a coach and a role model, did you, I assume that you took some of those qualities that you learned from coach Starja at Virginia and I don't know if you want to talk about some of the qualities that he passed down onto you and that you are passing down onto the kids. Like, what are some of the lessons that you learned from, you know, such a renowned coach as Coach Sarja? Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, as you guys know, a coach plays a very interesting role in your life, especially a guy, your college coach, because he could have said no to you and you could have ended up at a different college and there goes your best friend and there goes your girlfriend and there goes your, your whole life path. If they say yes or no to you, it's very unique. So I think... Coaching in general was, was an amazing experience for me. And I think, um, you know, playing under Dom Starja was a dream come true. And I think, you know, for him, it was all about the little things. And I think some things that I immediately think about, which are funny of Dom, is like he was all about be nice to the pizza guy. <laughs> that was like his one of his favorite lines. And I think he just says pizza guy because he loves pizza. He's from Long Island <laughs> and love pizza. But for him, it's like be good to people. And I think that's such a – easy thing to say but such a hard thing to do especially in everything going on in our world right now I think it's so conflicting and so I think he taught me in an early age and instilled in our team to be just good to people to ask how people are doing and to treat people with respect and to say hi to people and to shake people's hand and Anthony your, it kind of goes back to your question where you're like how did you what was it like the first year like I'd walk into school and say I had a security guard every morning and say hey good morning I hope you have a great day the first couple of months, they didn't respond to me. I mean, I would mm-hmm. say hi to people. I'd shake people's hand. I would run over to people try to introduce myself. And they have, there's trust issues of a white male coming into a 
inner city environment. I mean, they're like, here's another person that's going to come in and out of life and not be consistent and just promise all the things and not, not happen. Exactly, but yeah. to, to do the little things like Dom said, to shake someone's hand and eye contact and to build relationships like that, like that's how you build the trust. And so be nice to the pizza guys. Something I think about all the time. Enjoy the journey is what he talks about all the time. I mean, he's a very like, he wasn't a big rah-rah guy. He thought that the team and the guys on the team should get each other. You, you put in time and practice or you're prepared for the game. You shouldn't have to rah-rah yourself up. But he's all about enjoying the journey. He's like, listen, you guys are playing lacrosse at the University of Virginia with your best friends in front of a big crowd, and every year you get to compete for a national championship. He's like, take a deep breath and think it through and realize how amazing of an opportunity that is right now. And I think some people let that pass, and I did a lot of times too. But if you can think about that every once in a while, and if you're a student athlete, like a lot of people are hopefully going to listen to this that are like in the moment, like you're stressed about the job or this or that, like just enjoy the journey, enjoy the process from A to B because it's very cliche, but nine times out of 10, the best part is that journey. And so that, that was something that um, I love from Dom. And then in particular, the last one was you guys sent that video on resiliency. When he came to watch my Under Armour lacrosse game, he was taking a chance on a random Florida kid who barely had played lacrosse ever, but he saw potential and obviously changed my life. But he told my dad, he's like, it's Wyatt and the guys on his team aren't going to be defined by how they handle wins and good good moments. They're going to be defined by how they handle defeats and tough times. And I think that's 90% of life is how you handle adversity. And I think obviously he knew that stuff would happen over college, let alone did he think someone would commit suicide and one of our players would kill his girlfriend who happened to be a girls lacrosse player and guys would quit the team and break drinking rules. Like, but for him to say that early on and kind of think through knowing that you got to be resilient during the tough times, I think, um, stuck with me. Cause my dad told me, and my dad's like, Don didn't really talk that much. You said something about making sure you prepare for the tough times because that makes you who you are. And I remember that stuck with me and it just so happened to be, we had these weird, tough, experiences over the course of really awesome four years and the the we didn't I didn't learn much after the national championship I just had a great time and was so excited but you learn a lot about those tough times and for Dom to say that and it's true about life I think is probably one of the most impactful things he had so be nice to the pizza guy enjoy the journey and be resilient are uh things that I taught myself through Dom and that taught my kids as well um that I think transcends through a lot of different things which is cool yeah, I think there are definitely some uh, some real profound lessons, whether it um, it's something that you learned from Harlem Lacrosse or something that your that your coach you know exhibited and then you know taught to you guys. Neil and I were talking the other day, and I had a similar experience um, when I was in graduate school with a mentor of mine. I was doing similar work, uh, but within baseball and education. And one of my mentors said to me, um, you know, get to know the gatekeepers of the school. And in this case, it it was the custodian. It was, you know, the lunch lady, because those people, you know, they're, they're, they have the keys to everything, you know, you need to make those relationships work. And I think it also relates to this idea of trust and buy-in, especially in situations where there's a power dynamic, whether that be player coach or um, student educator, you know, we always talk about in 
talk about like the kids have to buy in, the kids have to buy in, but there's also an equal level of buy-in for you. Like, are you in the community all the time? I remember there were times when I took the subway home with some of my baseball players and like that was profound to them that there, here's this guy who like comes to work with us. And then he's also on the same subway to, you know, to yeah. go home like that. That's what made a difference. Not that I could teach them how to field and throw. And I think it's kind of similar thing that you're talking about with with Harlan lacrosse and some of those some of those like overarching lessons beyond teaching them how to you know play the sport yeah and I, I think to your point before I think be nice the pizza guy and like you said building this relationship like I just I had a whole new understanding too of like what a struggle actually looks like compared to what I thought it was when I went to Harlem and like here were parents that were working two or three jobs and I think in New York City especially anywhere like the little people get passed over so many times like the taxi cab driver or the cook or the chef or the the checkout lady or the person doing these little jobs where people just push them by all the time in the service industry and what I realized is like those the chef and the taxi cab driver and the the garbage guy and those people those were my kids dads and my kids moms you know and like I think so many people especially you know I love New York but especially in New York because it's so hectic and so crazy like so many people are go, go, go that you forget just to say thank you or to say hi or check in on people. And what I realized early on was like that taxi cab driver isn't some random dude who has no life and no family. He's just driving that cab. Like that guy is my student's dad and he's got six other kids and he's on check by check and he doesn't have any, you know, insurance. Or he doesn't have any health insurance. Like the struggle, it was, you know, it was real for all these people in Harlem. And I kind of just, it opened my eyes to being like, there's a whole world out there of people that are really struggling, trying to make it meet. And a thank you and a smile and a handshake can go a long way in making a person's day when a thousand people for them brush them off. And you're the one person that says, Hey, thanks so much. Hope you have a great day. Like little things like that make a difference in people's lives. And so I think to your point, it, those little things matter. No doubt, no it's doubt. It's only that easy just to tell people to be nicer, right? <laughs> I mean, it's like, I, I mean, it works the same way in business. And I mean, you're in sales, right? It's like you can't just think because this person has a certain title that they're the people you need to go after. It's like, you know, you got you to gotta be nice to anybody. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I think I've been thinking like everyone, everyone, very tense world we're living in right now, especially in the country. And I think there's no magic secret to like fix everything, but I think being genuine and being good people and being accountable and trustworthy, like can go a long way. Like the words love and trust and, uh, um, accountability and honesty, like those are words that are being lost a little bit in our world. And I think I have tried extra over the last couple of years just to like share those thoughts and to say thank you to people and to give people hugs and to write people thank you notes. Like those little things make the difference. And I think it, it could help what's going on in our country, but it's, it's a long process, but it's the little things make a difference. Yeah. So why, so let's, um, say you're talking to a junior in college now, um, current student athlete who, you know, is rapid going into their senior year or even a senior who's looking to get, looking to graduate soon looking to get into the job market. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, their identity as an athlete is no longer going to be with that. Right? Yeah. How, what are some pieces of advice that you may have for them as they graduate and go on into the job market or go on and to find their passion? Yeah. Um, you know, it's a funny question because, like, you could take it so many different ways. And, like, I've thought about this a lot. Um, and it applies for those same 27-year-old friends that are 
getting right. out of it. You know, they're at a stuck point too, right? Yeah. So I think for me, it's like I'm trying not to tell people what they should or shouldn't do. Like I'm just telling them what I've done and how my experiences have shaped me and how some of the ways I've thought about life may or may not help them. And so I think I'm never going to try to tell someone what they should or should do. I'm just going to explain my situation and they could find things that work or don't work with them based off my experiences. But I think it's funny enough, like my life completely shifted. I think the second best decision I ever did besides go to boarding school was I did a whole no drinking thing for six months. And I think it's such a, you know, I can tell someone to chase their dreams or follow their path or do this or do the quit their job. Like those things people think about all the time, but like, how do you actually get there? I think is lost in translation a lot of time. And your guy's job and my job is like, find little things that can help people along the way because anyone could tell someone follow your dream like that's a given but like all right well how the heck do you actually get there and i quit drinking for six months um i guess it was two years ago now and i wasn't like i was drinking crazy but i was out thursday night for clients and then friday i was out with my buddies and then saturday going to birthday party and drinking all day on saturday i just felt like i wanted to speed up my life and i wanted to take everything to the next level and drinking going out and being hungover was slowing me down and so I did this whole crazy no drinking thing for six months and it was the most second most amazing decision and best thing I've ever done in my life because it completely clears your head completely gets you focused and gives you so much free time to really think about who you are where you are and where you want to be and what you want to do with your life and so it's a random thing but I think in sports and student athletes and I know lacrosse is dealing with a lot of alcohol things and how do you juggle going out and being social with pursuing, you know, being a top tier athlete. It's not easy. And to break that social norm of drinking, I wish I had done earlier at Virginia because we went out a lot and we drank a lot and it, you know, to juggle those is not easy. And so I guess my best advice would be, I, I dare you to stop drinking for six months because I think if you really want to clear your head and you really, you're young and you're graduating college or you're getting out of college or you're stuck in some crap corporate job where you don't want to be in like, find yourself some time and our generation has so much has so little time on your hands because we have so much social media and so many events and so many things to go to that buying a little extra time could be the difference between finding your passion and being stuck in a job you never you want to be you don't want to be stuck in for the rest of your life and so quit drinking is an amazing thing that changed my life and i tell anyone that is interested to do it for at least six months and it's not going to be easy you're going to get a lot of crap from your friends but the friends that are going to give you the most crap are the friends that are going to ask you six months later hey can you tell me a little bit more about that no drinking thing because they're the ones that actually don't want to drink anymore too so i think that's right. interesting and then the, the second thing i'd say is i've been doing lately three the top three things on your brain so every day find three things that you want to accomplish every week find three things you want to accomplish every month three things you want to accomplish and every year three things you want to accomplish and so if you focus on the top three things every day every week every month every year that you want to accomplish i think it holds you accountable and it keeps you in check and it keeps it manageable because i know for me like my to-do list could be a hundred different things i want to do so it's like what are the top three things that are going to make a difference in my life that i want to get done today I want to get done in a week and a month and a year. And so I think if you can manage your expectations and you can manage your focus and stay focused on three things at a time that are really going to allow you to be successful, then I think that's a good way to start taking a chunk in the right direction with your pursuit of figuring out what the heck you want to do next with your life.
of it. You're like simplifying that process where it's a bunch of craziness and just move forward, put something to action, right? Right. Yeah. Setting. It's it's, in, it's interesting in a sense. So the first piece of advice is kind of like. Well, for you is like more tangible, but it's kind of like abstract, like connect to yourself a little bit more. And then the yeah. second piece of advice was like physically write these three things down, then these three things, then these three things. So it's kind of like these two messages that kind of work together. Yeah. I mean, I've been doing like I, I listen to this guy, Tim Ferriss. He does a great podcast. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys heard, but I've just tried to do my own weird experiments. Like I got rid of my social media, so I have no social media. I don't watch TV and this is me just bragging about my weird stuff, but it's like, I don't watch, I don't watch TV during the week. I have no social media. Um, you know, I just, I stopped drinking. For, I only drink on Saturdays. Now I did a whole vegan thing for six months, which was like the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah, I did that too. Um, just, it's real. It's, it was harder than just <laughs> drinking. I'll tell you that. But so my whole thing is like, I'm trying to find my balance. Like there's all these guys that are like, you can't drink, you can't eat this. You can't drink. You can't go to this. I'm like, I want to be able to have a drink. I want to be able to, to have a good meal. I want to be able to go out with, but and do that. But I want to find what works exactly with me. And I think so many people our age and maybe a little younger are trying to figure out, especially on social media, like what everyone else wants them to be rather than who you want yourself to be. And I mm-hmm. think that's the issue. Social media can be great. Um, but I think the issue with social media for me is like so many, you're trying to figure out who, people want you to be rather than who you should be. And I think if you're looking at what everyone else is doing, that means you're not looking at what you're doing a lot. And I think there's this whole superficial bubble that our generation's living in a little bit. That's a little concerning. It's like, do you think you're actually making a difference by liking a picture or sharing it on some social media platform? And that was the thing. That's why I've always done all this stuff with millennials and young leaders and try to get more people engaged. I'm like, no, let's actually, make a difference with what we're doing. Let's go to Harlem lacrosse and leadership and get involved with the kids. Let's join a political campaign because the political world is screwed up right now. And so it's like, let get off social media. If you don't want to stop drinking for six months, then I, I dare you to stop, get off social media for six months because that might be even better than no drinking. So take it like extreme and then find your happy place. Like if you want to just have, I have drinks on Saturdays and I know that I'm not going to drink during the week. It's just kind of like find what works for you rather than what works for everyone else is kind of my strategy with all these crazy experiments. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's cool to hear you talk about balance in your personal life because you, the way you described yourself earlier was like, you're this dude who's all about extremes. You're like top school, you know, top, um, company in New York city in something you weren't that experienced in. Then you go to Harlem, like all this stuff of, of like polarizing extremes. And now you're like, yo, I got to find some balance in my life when do these like little things that work out. Yeah. I think, I mean, my whole, my whole theory is like, I hate, um, status quo and I hate like everyone telling you what you can or can't do. So I'm like, I want to do exactly what I want to do all the time with who I want to do it as much as I want to do it. I think that's my definition of success. It's like, and I don't want people to tell me what I can and I can't do. And I want to be able to touch on a little bit of everything. Like I still haven't settled on exactly what I want to do, but I know I want to make a difference. And I'm like, to be able to do that though, is like, I'm running for instance, it's like I'm running the New York city marathon actually to support Harlem lacrosse. I'm like, I can't be the friend I want to be the boyfriend. I want to be the son. I want to be the person I want to be to myself. And then also train for a half marathon. If I'm going to go out a couple of times a week and eat like crap and then be on social media until 11 o'clock at night. Like if you want to do everything, then you have to figure out, 
where you're going to be in the middle for a lot of things. And that's been my strategy. It's like, I want to, I want to be everything and be really good at it because I don't want to be a great dad, but a terrible husband or a great person at work, but a terrible husband, a terrible dad. Like the find yourself in the middle ground is where you're going to find the happiness in yourself to be like, all right, I can touch on a lot of different things, not be that extreme one way or the other. So I don't know. It's my whole weird way of trying to figure out life and everyone's got their own way. So um, <laughs> take one step, but it's one crazy experiment at a time. That's right. So talk about like your, your t- sorry, Dad. No, sorry. sorry. Um, so you talk about your list that you, you know, your top three lists. So what are some of the things on that list? Like what's next for you? Yeah. So I think, you know, it's, I'll continue just to say crazy things, but so my girlfriend and I, Jane, we want to run, we want to be president of the United States. <laughs> um, and 2028 is the first year that I could run for office, which is pretty exciting. And so it's really helpful because there's all, all these opportunities that have come about. And like, I want to start all these different ideas and all these things and you can't do everything all the time. And so I think for me, I'm like the know that I always like the number one priority is to be president of the United States. And if anything else gets in the way of that, then it's not the priority. And I think that's why having the top three things is helpful because if you're like the top three things I want to do this year, are, uh, you know, run a marathon, move to Kentucky. And you know, the third one go vegan for six months. Like if those are your three priorities, then everything else underneath it falls underneath it. And if, if they don't help get to your three priorities, then get them out of the way and move on. And so I think that's why the three things. So for me, it's like, I just moved to Kentucky. Jane and I are starting this company, M2. So we're trying to get off the ground, um, trying to get it uh, operational and get this whole thing moving in the right direction. And then, like I said, we're, um, you know, we're going to run for political office. We're going to start local in Kentucky and then hopefully get to be governor of Kentucky one day and, um, and then president of the United States in 2028. So it's, it's crazy, but I think, um, I think I'm going to go for it and see what happens. Awesome. How can we help you here? What's next? How can we help you become president of the United States? I guess uh, we're donating. I guess we're donating to the campaign. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, we're getting M2, which is like this millennial platform, like I, te- uh, like I told you guys about. And uh, the whole thing is trying to get more millennials out of the big, big cities and into urban areas. And Neil, that's what you and I talked a lot of, a lot about. There's so much, opportunity outside of these big cities and i think um getting more people to the urban areas like charlotte and like charleston and like lexington can help our country move forward in a positive direction because these cities need our help and they need our resources and i think um getting them involved in things that matter are going to push our country in the right direction so you could follow us i think we've got i'm i'm not on the social media at all but at, at m2 strategies and it's an underscore at the end which is our twitter which is great and then I always think friends telling friends is the best way to do all this. And so if anyone listening or you guys here have three friends to send this to, I think that's always the best way because people get sent so much information now, so many emails, so many texts, so many tweets and mm-hmm. direct messaging, everything. And it's like, if a friend actually just texts you and is like, Hey, listen, to this, it actually is good. Like it matters more than seeing it up on Twitter or something like that. So, uh, I think grab a two friends and send this along and keep spreading the message is the best way to help all this. Awesome. So if some, one of our listeners wanted to reach out to you and your girlfriend to try to maybe get involved with what you guys are doing with M2, how would they get involved with you? Yeah, that's great. Thank you. So whoever that is, we're ready for you. Actually, my little brother's moving to Kentucky in three weeks and he's our first little, uh, millennial transplant taking him from Florida and he's going to come help us get our, our company off the started. So we're, uh, we're open for business. So you could, 
you can hit us up on at, at M2 strategies and then it's an underscore right after strategies. So if you want to message us, my email is Melzer, M-E-L-Z-E-R dot Wyatt, W-Y-A-T-T at gmail.com. And we'll have a website. We're working on a website and get everything up and running now. But um, shoot me an email and we'd love to chat and, uh, and figure out how we can, how we can make the country a, a better place. Awesome. And we'll put, we'll put all of this on our, uh, on our website when we post the interview. Um, so that everyone can just get, get in contact with you at the click of a button. Cool. Yeah, this isn't the end, man. We definitely want to connect with you. Um, follow the progress on M2 and I think loop back. I mean, we talked a lot about what you're doing after school with Harlem lacrosse, but as you said, you're a man of many ventures and passions. So let's, uh, Let's stay up to date, and we'll connect on that one, too. No, I appreciate the opportunity. Hopefully I did all right. And uh, I'm excited about what you guys are doing, so I want to help and stay in touch with you guys and keep spreading the good word. I think it's uh, it's an awesome, awesome venture you guys are on. So whatever I can do to help, please. Love it, man. Awesome. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right, dudes. Have a great night. Enjoy it, man. Enjoy the wedding. Enjoy the Enjoy. weekend, right? Yeah. Hope you have a beer on Saturday, bro. <laughs> I will. I will. I'll get there. Later. Later. See you, boys. So what you guys think? I mean, come on. That was awesome, right? He's just one of those guys I think we all clicked with right away. Um, I remember my first conversation with him, and I was just thinking, yeah, this is this is going to be a good one. I, I hope you guys enjoyed it, man. Um, we really did. Um, I love that model of the three goals. You know, who knows? This guy may be president one day. I mean, we see no reason to doubt him. Um, I, I want to call back to those those goals that he has from coach Starja, you know an absolute legend right and he's got these three goals which seem so simple in retrospect but we, you know we really need to practice them each day first one being be nice to the pizza guy so maybe think to yourself you know who's the pizza guy at your office on your team in your community um, and how can you be nicer to him each day second one being enjoy the journey you know i think a lot of us are focused on that end goal and you know funny our name of the podcast but what's next um but you know what are those steps along the way and i think he can get really tactical um, about how you enjoy the journey each step of the way the last one being how do you handle adversity slash you know be resilient you know those those times when you are having a tough journey i mean he had you know plenty of bounce backs on his team uh, but how do you handle adversity bounce back and in his case win a national championship I'm going to link up some videos uh, that Wyatt helped us provide, you know, some of the ones early stages with Harlem lacrosse. Uh, One in particular I think is super timely right now, and it's when the students from the Harlem lacrosse program actually go to Charlottesville, UVA, on the UVA campus um, and practice with the team. You know, insane uh, experience for these guys. And it's funny, it's freezing cold, it's snowing, but these kids are so happy to be there. Um, And I think a video like that, especially with all the madness going on in Charlottesville over the last week, uh, brings it all together. Uh, So please watch that one. I think you guys will enjoy it. If you want to reach out to Wyatt, uh, you can reach out to him on his Gmail. He he provided that. I'll also put it in the show notes, but it's Melzer, M-E-L-Z-E-R dot Wyatt, W-Y-A-T-T at gmail.com. And then you can also follow his company, M2, on Twitter. Uh, It's M2 the number two, and then strategies with an underscore at the end. But like I said, I'll provide that in the show show notes for you guys. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe, like, share, and really keep sending those recommendations. I mean, we're following up, and we've got some good interviews lined up, and we love it. Uh, So have a great week, everyone. Um, Enjoy this Monday. Hopefully this kickstarts your week, and uh, we'll see you next time on What's Next.